Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They gather everybody around for their wicked, evil, fun. And now you'll see what I mean. But they gathered the whole cohort around him. And we're going to see this wicked mockery of Christ that isn't unlike people's ridicule of Jesus Christ and his followers today. Uh, but it's sobering to look at. But like I say, you're going to see the heart of man, and we'll see the heart of God. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, The Crucifixion. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Pilate said, I wanna, I'm innocent of this man's blood, and he wasn't. But then they cried out, His blood be on us and on our children, and we left off right here. Then he released Barabbas for them, but Jesus, he scourged and delivered over to be crucified. We've come to this awful scene, the crucifixion, where the Bible points all the way through the Old Testament toward this scene, and in the New Testament, always pointing back. When uh, I was listening to some of the commentary around Billy Graham's death, and one of his daughters said that uh, for the last several years, he has just zeroed in on one verse of scripture. He has it on cards on his mirror, in his bedroom, in his bathroom. May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which I was crucified to the world and the world to me. Uh, Galatians 6.14, it's a great verse, by the way. The cross, you can never go wrong looking at the cross. I was talking with Luis Palau just this last week, and he said to me, and if you don't know, and some of you are praying for him, he's, he needs our prayers physically. He's got, uh, he's got serious health issues. But he said to me, he said, preach the cross. And I thought, yes, yes, uh, the cross. Well, we've come to it here. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They gather everybody around for their wicked, evil fun. And now you'll see what I mean. But they gathered the whole cohort around him. And we're going to see this wicked mockery of Christ that isn't unlike people's ridicule of Jesus Christ and his followers today. Uh, but it's sobering to look at it. But like I say, you're going to see the heart of man, and we'll see the heart of God. And uh, I got to say, I think we're losing words, but they kind of come back. In our culture, we don't really, we try not to believe in sin or evil. I mean, anything goes, it's up to you. But when these horrific things happen, 
somebody slaughters a bunch of people in a church or in a school or in a shopping mall, I notice instinctively people resurrect those words, so to speak, that we don't like to use. And I believe they're valuable words. Sin, evil, wicked, iniquity. Well, anyway, they gathered everybody around and they stripped him, verse 28, and put a scarlet robe on him. The humiliation of it. They stripped him down. And then they put a purple robe, Mark tells us, a scarlet one, Matthew says, uh, the color of royalty, you know, to kind of make fun of his so-called kingship. And after weaving a crown of thorns, verse 29, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they kneeled down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They made a crown of thorns, and they gave him a little reed, said, Here's your scepter. And then they knelt down, Hail, King of the... Everything was to mock him. Uh, By the way, however, even in this, we don't want to miss... A guy came here about a year, maybe a year and a half ago, businessman over in Pendleton, and he said he listens by radio to Downtown Bible. And, uh, and afterwards, he, he, we got to know each other. We talked, and, and uh, we met later, about, I'd guess, about six weeks later, and he brought me a... Um, you know, I, I tend to think of the crown of thorns as kind of some thistles. But he brought me uh, the, the thorns that, from Israel that they had, what, what, they were, what this thorn represents, and the long spears. And I'm telling you, it was like, you know, and when they jammed that on, it was, it was not only mocking him, but it was painful as they put this crown of thorns on his head. And uh, it reminds us of the curse. You know the first time thorns were mentioned in the Bible? Right back at Genesis 3. Because of this, he put a curse on the ground because of sin. And from now on, every time you try to have a garden, you have to deal with what? Thorns and thistles. And by the way, let that be a reminder this spring, as you're out there, maybe this weekend you got out and tried to deal with some of the weeds. What's wrong with this world? You know, why do weeds grow so much easier than vegetables or flowers or whatever? Well, the Bible explains that. Thorns and thistles are part of the curse. And Jesus, the Bible says, Galatians 3, became a curse for us. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. The only one who was innocent, he really was innocent, became a curse for me and for you. And so as I see this crown of thorns, I don't want to forget that. I was quoting Galatians 3.13, by the way, which was quoting Deuteronomy. And uh, we celebrated and we ought to. I think at Christmas time, you know, joy to the world, 
The Lord has come. Well, most of that, most of the Christmas music looks ahead to when he comes back. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground, we sing. Well, that hasn't happened yet. But when Jesus Christ comes back, he's going to remove the curse. He's going to set up his kingdom here on earth for a thousand years, the Bible says. Uh, it's exciting to think about it. But they were mocking him here in uh, verse 32 as they were coming out, excuse me, verse 30, they spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. Here's your king of the Jews. Hail, king of the Jews. And they spat on him, and they took his scepter, his reed, and began to swat at him. And after they'd mocked him, they took his robe off and put his garments on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they were coming out, they found a certain Cyrenian named Simon. This man they pressed into service to bear his cross. Apparently, and in fact, if you go to Jerusalem today, there's the, the, the pathway where it might have been. We don't know exactly the geography of the old city compared to today. But there's the way of the cross, the Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering. And you will see these stations and that sort of thing. But apparently he started out because John tells us in John 19, 17, he went out from there bearing his own cross. But apparently, having been scourged and beaten, and many times, by the way, when we say, we just read over it, look at verse 26, Pilate said, well, his blood be on you. And then he scourged him. And we just read it. They scourged him and then took him away to crucify him. Many people died of the scourging. It was not a light thing. They whipped him until the flesh was just. And so then they, he's bearing his own cross. And apparently he crumbled under the weight of it because we're told they found a certain Simon from Cyrene, Cyrene, this man they pressed into service to bear his cross. You know what? Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give us this detail, that they pressed this Simon into service to carry his cross for him. Look over at Mark for just a minute. Mark 15. Mark 15 I'll pick it up at verse 20. After they'd mocked him, they took the purple off him and put his garments on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they pressed into service a passerby coming from the country. They were on the main thoroughfare. When you get out to where they hung people on crosses and where they put our Lord, it was in a very public area where everybody coming into town would see, everybody leaving town. Well, this man was coming in, and the Simon, but notice what Mark tells us. The father of Alexander and Rufus, there, that he might bear his cross. And I point that out because the Bible doesn't say things haphazardly. And Mark was writing to a Roman audience. Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience. Mark to a Roman audience. Luke to the Greeks. And John, to everybody, okay? But the Roman audience 
Why is it that Mark said, you know, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus? Well, apparently they knew these people. Turn over to Romans. Turn over to Romans 16. Romans is uh, really not a personal letter. Paul writes to Rome. He's never been to Rome. That's one of the reasons why it's such a healthy book for us to give ourselves to today because there's no local issues. You know, there's no local situations that he's... He's writing the gospel for the Roman Empire, and all roads led to Rome. But it's still personal. I mean, he knows a lot of people because there was travel. Paul was a traveler, and though he hadn't been to Rome yet, he knew a lot of the people. So the last chapter, he greets... You can just glance at it, starting at about verse, well, 3... And uh, he starts greeting people that he has known by name. And down in verse 13, he says, Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Wow. That's a strong statement. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, and also his mom and mine. It's like Paul might have been adopted into this family at one point in the sense that he, he saw them just like we say that about people we're really close to, we're like family. Rufus was a choice man in the Lord. Simon, we don't know for sure, but the fact that Mark puts it there, the Holy Spirit had him record, you know, the father of Rufus. And then I turn to Romans, and this is written to a Roman audience, and I find that Rufus was a choice man in the Lord. Maybe Simon, maybe like many people, Simon, seeing what took place, hearing what Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Many people, in fact, I hope you, if you know Christ, you would say, when I looked at the cross, when I heard what Jesus said, when I, that's for me. When I came to Christ, it was realizing he died for me. He rose again on my behalf. Anyway, we get this detail, and I don't think it's uh, without... Uh, I think there's a reason for it as we read in all three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that uh, they put this cross on this man, Simon. Well, let's pick it up from there. When they had come to a place, I'm back in Matthew 27, verse 33, when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they gave him wine to drink, mingled with gall. And after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink it. They brought him outside the city. Hebrews said he would suffer outside the gate. The Old Testament, they took the sacrifices outside after they'd done them. Well, here you have them going outside, and then they gave him wine to drink. And if you notice, if your Bible's like mine, it puts it in all caps. It just sets it apart a different font. Why is that? Well, it's the way my Bible indicates that this is a direct quote. This is a direct quote right out of Psalm 69, a messianic psalm that said, they would give him gall to drink, vinegar, if you will. And when they'd crucified him, verse 35, they divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots. And that's also in all caps. That's also a quote right out of Psalm 22. Now, the Bible had pre-written these details. They would do this to him. Hundreds of years earlier, God had predicted this. 
And sitting down, verse 36, they began to keep watch over him there. It's like they pulled up a lawn chair, these soldiers, and sat down just to kind of watch. And they put up above his head the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. I'll close with this thought. Turn over to John 19 with me, because John tells us a little bit more detail here. They put a placard. They would often do this over a criminal. It was a criminal's death. Why is he dying? Here's why. And they'd, they'd hang it around his neck, and then when they got to the cross, they'd nail it to the cross so that it was clear to everybody, this is what we do with rapists. This is what we do with murderers. This is what we do. You know, it was a deterrent. Well, let me pick it up. John's account, verse 17. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him, and with him two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. And Pilate wrote an inscription also and put it on the cross, and it was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore, this inscription many of the Jews read, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. I mentioned to you that it's on the main road. A lot of people saw this inscription. And look at verse 20. It was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. Pilate wrote it in three languages. I want all the Jews to know. He wrote it in Hebrew. I want all the Romans to know. He wrote it in Latin. And I want anybody that's coming in from the East, anybody, Greek was kind of the language of the literary, and it was the language Alexander had conquered the world, and Greek was everywhere. He covered every base. I want everybody to know this is the so-called king of the Jews. By the way, nobody could miss it. And yet, they did. Nobody should miss it. But yet, people do. This is the king of the... The charge was true. He is the king of the Jews. And I'll close with this thought. Nobody will miss it. Turn to the last book of the Bible. I'll be very brief. Chapter 1 and chapter 19, just going to look at it just a glance. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to John to write. He wrote it in verse 7, speaking of when he comes back. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Well, he wrote the book. People avoid the book, but turn to Revelation 19 because the book starts by saying every eye is going to see him, even those who pierced him. Everybody in Portland that can just blaspheme his name today or ignore him or just say, that's a nice thing, you guys, but why do you waste your noon hour, you know? Uh, Everybody will one day... It's going to be unavoidable. As he comes back, look at 
chapter 19, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war, and his eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems, and he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. His name is written on him, but the Bible says, verse 11, nobody knows what his name is except himself. But it's clear who it is, the one on the white stallion. Out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword, the very word of God. His eyes are a flame of fire. This is exactly the description John gave of him back in chapter 1, verse 12. And he has a name written upon him, which no one knows. Verse 13, he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called what? The word of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, that with it he may smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. God is pleased to name his son a variety of ways. Nobody knows his name. But his name is the Word of God. You should call his name Jesus because it's he who will save his people from their sins. I want him named Emmanuel, God with us. And notice this. On his robe and on his thigh, verse 16, he has a name written. Not just King of the Jews in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. But King of kings and Lord of lords. God's going to see to it that everyone knows in heaven, on earth, and under the earth And every tongue will be forced to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, we praise you for this. Oh, we thank you that though it was the worst thing we could have done, it's an awful scene, yet it's a glorious scene because he willingly laid his life down so that we might be cleansed of our guilt and our sin. Oh, may we live with that in mind today, and may that change the way we think, the way we prioritize the way we treat others. Oh, Lord, may we love others because we love you. And we love you because you first loved us. Thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, The Crucifixion, a message from our study of the Gospel of Matthew. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to abideintheword.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. Something we've been making available as a thank you gift for our listeners are USB flash drives loaded with Bible teaching series in their entirety. So currently, we're offering the entire teaching of the Gospel of Matthew. That's 109 full-length messages, over 50 hours of clear, Christ-centered Bible teaching on this important introductory book of the New Testament. We'd like to make these teachings available to you, our listeners. Just make your request, along with your gift of any size, to the ministry of Abide in the Word. You can do that during regular business hours by calling 503-524-7000 or 
mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. You can simply click on Contact Us at AbideInTheWord.us anytime. We'd love to put one of these valuable resources in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us for our live online Sunday worship service at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. You can find us live on YouTube by searching for SW Bible Live or go to swbible.org and click on Live Stream. We also broadcast the service live on the radio on True Talk 800 a.m. It's best to check the 800 a.m. program guide for up-to-the-minute schedule adjustments. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. The Jews, therefore, said, It took 46 years to build this temple. I mean, it, it was a masterpiece of architecture that Herod had built. It took 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. By the way, as you read the Bible, the temple, the tabernacle, all those Old Testament things are pictures of the real temple, okay? The real tabernacle, the real place where man can meet God. We can come into the Holy of Holies, not through some literal veil, but through the real veil that separated us, that mighty gulf that God did span. Join us again next time as we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott will bring a message titled, He Bore Our Sins. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. 